Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal in our downtown studios in Providence. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone out there listening. Uh, Hope everyone is is healthy and safe and doing well and hard at work on those resolutions. I I know I am, sort of. Uh, I'd like to welcome my co-conspirator for this episode from WPRI 12 and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury? What's up, man? What's going on, Bill? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, New Year's off to a good start. What are we, five, four and a half days in? We're Tuesday morning here. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a good New Year. Um, got some hoops in uh, mm-hmm. the weekend of New Year's, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, lot to talk about. And uh, yeah, working on some, some resolutions myself, and hopefully these teams are working on some, some resolutions because they all have room for improvement. Yeah, they need them just like we need them. Uh, are you a resolutions guy? Do you, do you do them formally, or, or are you one of those people like my brother who says, why have a resolution when you can just start today? Uh, yeah, I'm more, I think I'm more along the lines of that, for sure. Um, yeah, like no, you, I, like I don't, I don't necessarily write something down, post it on my wall, keep it on my phone. Uh, no, if I want to change something, I think I... I'm good about keeping it top of mind and going and changing it. Kind of like, yeah. you know, December 22nd, some people sit there and they think, oh, just nine days from now and I'll start doing this. Yeah. And, and you know, you're more like, well, I do that. Let's just do it now. It never happens. Yeah. When you push it off, kick the can down the road, you know, then there's excuses January 1st, January 2nd, and then before you know it, you're middle of the month, end of the month, and... One twelfth of the year is gone, and, and then you're screwed. Right, I had to work, or I had something with the dog, or I had something with my family, or, or whatever it is. And the next thing you know, it's that's right, that's right. You've you've played it out to the point where you haven't started, and it's February, and you know now now I'm getting into my own autobiography. Uh, I say, uh, and and that's enough of that tangent. We will get to the hoops. Uh, as you said, we have plenty to discuss here. Um, we've been off since before the holidays. Um, and we are back in with all three of our programs who are playing into conference play. Uh, we're going to start with URI Mori because they played most recently, uh, and they will play next uh, on Wednesday at Richmond. Um, over the weekend, they, they played a game that I think a lot of folks thought would be just a routine 40 minutes, get in, get out, win easily against St. Joseph's, and, and move on didn't end up being the case uh you know they needed to really dig deep down the stretch hung on for dear life in an 85 77 overtime win they needed some heroics from fats russell uh over the last eight minutes to to pull this one out uh maury i I just i know how i felt about the game i'm I'm interested to hear how you felt about it yeah i mean a win is a win i mean that's they, they survived they got out of there with a win that's that's really all that that matters um they turned the ball over 24 times the game before against St. Bonaventure in a close win, you know, sloppy on both ends, turned the ball over 16 times against St. Joe's. There really wasn't a step forward uh, from St. Bonaventure to St. Joe's. When you look at St. Joe's, I mean, you know, they shot 43% from the floor, but man, oh man, this is a St. Joe's team that came in without, you know, some of its its top scores, top stars, complete rebuild. Uh, Billy Lang's team, I forget what they were picked to finish, but had to have been near the bottom of the A-10. Bottom four. Bottom four. Yeah, you're, you're uh, this, never going to be last. You're never going to be last so long as Fordham is in there. Sure. <laughs> yes. They're going to be picked last. Playing on Tuesday night or Wednesday afternoon, whatever, of the uh, in the A-10 tournament. That's right. Uh, is, what, is where they'll probably be. That's right. And somewhere where Rhode Island uh, hopefully will never aspire to 
to to drop as low as and and be in that group. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. There were some bright spots, um, and you're lucky to have a guy like Fats Russell pull it out at the end. But yeah, I mean, two, they're, they're two and one in the Atlantic Ten after three games, and I think that's where we expected them to be. Um, that's where I think David Cox is happy to be. I mean, obviously they'd like to be three and zero, and they lost a tough game against Davidson at home. But Davidson's a, a solid team, so they'll take two and one. Uh, it really has not been pretty at all. Um, two close wins, especially against St. Joe's. But uh, now they're gearing up for what's going to be a really good test uh, over the next couple weeks, and we'll really start to figure out if this team can improve from two mediocre performances and, and squeaking by a team that's sort of toward the bottom of the A-10 uh, and see where Rhode Island can put itself because the next couple of weeks they've got some big-time tests. Yeah, January gets a lot harder, and, and you're, going to be, you're going to need to be a lot better than this to, to beat some of these teams who you're going to be playing in January. Um, in this game, you're, you're fortunate to have Fats Russell. He's got seven points with two minutes and 42 seconds left in regulation. He ends up with 20, uh, including three free throws inside the final 10 seconds. Seconds. Um, if you're a St. Joe's fan, you, you would say it was a soft foul. If you're a URI fan, you would say it was a really heads-up play by a senior uh, who was waiting for any sort of contact and or breath on his body by an opposing defender uh, to throw up a three-pointer and, and draw a foul. Uh, Miles Douglas, I understand what he's trying to do. You're trying to contain. You're trying to contain Russell off the dribble. You don't want to give him an open three. Um, but you just can't give him a window to do something that forces an official to make a decision like that. Um, you know, and, and I kind of wrote in my story for the journal, that's the sort of thing that losing teams do. Oh, yeah. That's how you end up 0-7. They, they find the ways in, into those types of situations. Right. Yeah. You find a way to lose it yeah. as much as winning teams find a way to win it. Right. Um, you know, it just... It, Dan Hurley used to talk about that all the time. When you're when you're a losing team, a losing program, it sort of gets into your bone marrow, and yep. it's it's hard to get it out. Like that that stink, that just sort of feel, that inevitability. Um, and St. Joe's is is battling against that right now. They've only won 13 out of the last 59, which that goes back to the end of Phil Martelli and, and the start of Billy Lang. They've played a really tough schedule to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're missing Ryan Daly, who's their leading scorer. They're missing Greg Foster, who's a transfer from Gonzaga, uh, who figured to be a big part of this team. He was out for personal reasons. Uh, and still, St. Joe's has the lead in the final seconds. Fats Russell draws a foul. He makes all three free throws. URI comes out, and they never trail in the overtime. Um, you know, Maury, you alluded to it. Uh, the fact that you allow Taylor Funk to go for 29 points. Cameron Brown had 12 on the season coming in in three games. He ends up with 21. Um, you, you didn't really defend as well as you could have, I, I suppose. Um, you know, and, and you didn't, you know, if you, you or I, you didn't really exploit St. Joe's on defense. They're, they're a team that doesn't really guard anyone. Um, you know, and, and still, you, you end up going six for 25 from three point range. As you mentioned, the 16 turnovers, you're still sloppy with the ball. You only had five assists after halftime. Um, you know, it, it's just, I see things from this URI team still here in January that I would have hoped would have been sort of ironed out by now. Um, you know, maybe at least improving on a, a little bit. Um, you know, they're, they're still maddeningly inconsistent. Um, they haven't necessarily drilled down on, on who's going to play when and, and why. 
And, and I think that's sort of difficult to, to be consistent in that way. Um, you know, you mentioned the St. Bonaventure game with 24 turnovers. I, I mean, a team that is guard-dominated, that plays three guards often, just can't turn the ball over that much. Uh, it's, it's carelessness. It's sloppy. Um, but here you sit at 2-1, at and one, and you are headed into the Crucible at Richmond, at VCU, at Duquesne, at LaSalle, at Dayton are, are all your road games in January. Uh, by the end of this month, we're, we're going to know who URI is and, and where they stand for better or for worse. For me, there's no identity of this team right now. They, they have one player who will be in the closing five in Fats Russell, one player they can rely on to at least take the big shot and who isn't afraid of that moment. Other than that, you could start, uh, of the other nine guys they play, you could pick four out of a hat and start them. You could pick four out of a hat to be around Fats Russell for the closing five. You could pick any one of the nine to be your secondary score on any given night. I mean, there are still so many question marks with this team, uh, yet they still are two and one. So I, I guess if you're looking at it glass half full, sure, there's a lot of room for improvement. Uh, they have a lot of nice pieces uh, around Fats Russell. No one has really taken that that secondary scoring spot. If you're looking at a glass half empty, you're like, wow, thank God we're two and one. Uh, could be one and two, maybe zero oh and three. You know, if the dice don't roll our way, and and now we're looking at a gauntlet of you're going on the road in the A10. Uh, road games are always are always tough. Uh, you're going up against a Richmond team who is has lost two of three, so they're hungry to, to get back on track and, mm-hmm. and climb back up the net because at the beginning of the year, at least through the first month of the season, they were the team that was the lock in the NCAA tournament, at least from an out-of-conference an out of perspective. Right. Uh, and now they're kind of on the outside looking in as of right now, this, this moment. So you're going to go and face a tough Richmond team, uh, guard-dominated, um, really good on the, on the defensive end so you know those turnover numbers they, they have to take a serious drop and then you know you go to VCU VCU's never a tough play, never an easy place to play always a tough environment mm-hmm. so you know right now I, I think it's identity I think you know what does Rhode Island do well I'm not sure on the offensive end um, I'm just not sure at this point. I think defensively, like David Cox has said multiple times, they're not good enough offensively where if the defense isn't good on a given night, they won't be able to, to win games, pull games out. So it starts on the defensive end on the defensive end with them. But offensively, Davidson slowed it down. They played to their tempo. St. Joe's, what did they shoot? They shot 25-3. St. Joe's wanted them to shoot threes. There's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason they wanted URI to shoot threes. Right. Um, so... I mean Richmond and VCU to start to, to start this stretch. They're going to want them to do specific things, and whether it's speed them up or whether it's slow them down. I mean R- Rhode Island has to get back to, in my opinion, they they got to they got to shorten the rotation and and get some continuity offensively, and then on the on the offensive end they need to continue to move the ball. Uh, a lot of the time it's a lot of just single pick and roll. The ball's move, not moving around the court a lot. Um, they're not stepping into shots, sometimes hero ball, a lot of shots early in the shot clock where they don't go down as turnovers. Uh, but, but, you know, shots five, ten seconds into a shot clock, one good pass, that's just not a recipe for success. So there's a, still a lot of question marks uh, for David Cox's squad, and they got to turn it around quickly because um, it's a really, really tough stretch. And a lot of teams, I mean, 
every team's pretty much played two games, you know, through the A10 right now. And, you know, you get to that eight or nine game mark, you're either going to finish in the top half because you've solidified a, a spot where you've beaten some good teams and, and you're, you know, you're in the top four, top five of the league, or you get behind yourself like a couple of years ago and then you're you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole right and then you're expending so much energy you know to win one game just to to get back in the win column and then there's a team right around the corner that's ready to pick you off the other day the crunch time lineup i i think it's worth getting into this a little bit uh fats russell obviously is going to be out there mikhail mitchell is going to be out there he's he's clearly your center um you know i think he he had 15 points the other night um you know, again, a presence in the paint. Uh, he's emerged as, as someone who I think you know is going to be a big piece for this team. Uh, added eight rebounds and, and a block shot uh, in 26 minutes. Um, Fats kind of bailed him out a little bit. He had a killer turnover in the last 30 seconds. It, it wasn't the greatest pass uh, toward his lower body. Went off his knee and, and out of bounds, and, and that could have been a, a really painful one for Mikhail. It, it would have obscured a, a good performance by him. Um, you know, you had Jeremy Shepard out there who, you know, to this point, I understand he hasn't played in a while, but you've cast him in this role as someone who's going to be important on this team, was scoreless against Davidson, had 17 against St. Bonaventure, was very good in that game, and then had five points the other night against St. Joe's and two for eight shooting. So he's not giving you anything consistent at this point. Your other two players are Alan Beatrand, who, who is just eligible transfer from Towson and DJ Johnson who ultimately had a good plus minus in that game he made a big three pointer in overtime to, to sort of seal it but he did make a couple plays in the last four minutes of regulation that, that showed maybe his lack of experience there was a goaltending on a ball that had already hit the backboard um, and he didn't exactly play great help defense on the pick and roll where Taylor Funk had a three point play in the lane with less than a minute to go, and, and that put URI behind and, and put them in big trouble. Um, so I don't necessarily think that, that they've settled on uh, a, a last five, I guess you could say, a, a crunch time five. And I, I, I think for me, Maury, that's their biggest issue. I, I look at this team, you're, you're three years into today, well, two and a half years into David Cox. You've turned over a lot of personnel. I, I understand that. You didn't have a conventional offseason uh, in terms of summer practices. Uh, COVID obviously has, has been a huge issue with, with protocols and, and whatever else. Um, but for too much of that game the other night against St. Joe's, I couldn't figure out which team was rebuilding. I couldn't figure out which team had the second-year head coach as opposed to the third. Uh, I couldn't figure out which team had guys playing for them who have been in an NCAA tournament and, and who have competed at the top of the league. Um, and and I, if I'm a URI fan, I'm troubled by that. Uh, you know, I, I'm troubled by where you're at at this point, I'm troubled by the fact that you beat Seton Hall earlier this year, and, and granted, you've lost Makai Mitchell. That is a huge piece. He would have been a big help for this team going forward. He looked like he was just starting to come into his own uh, when you lose him to a knee injury at Western Kentucky. Um, but I'm wondering where this is and, and where this is going, maybe a little bit in, in the bigger picture. And, and I was hoping maybe to have a little bit more certainty about that by now if if I'm a URI fan. Am I being too harsh? Am I being too, you know, maybe sort of demanding in, in wondering that? No, not at all. I think this is a team that 
it, it, when there's no identity and, and they play like they did on Sunday, which is their most recent game, which is the way we have to critique them through that lens of, uh, of an overtime win against it, of a bottom seller team. No, you look at this upcoming stretch and they could easily go one and six or two and five and, and be, be staring at a four and six or a three and seven record in the, in the A10, 10 games in. So no, I don't think you're being too harsh at all. I think when, when you look at, at Rhode Island, and you say, okay, yeah, you know, first time that, you know, M- Mikhail Mitchell's playing with the group and, and Malik Martin's a transfer and Jeremy Shepard hasn't played in a couple of years. And then, you know, Alan Beatran is just newly eligible. They're 10 games in. I-, I think those excuses, I think, have to fly out the window. Maybe Beatran, he's only played in a couple games. But DJ Johnson's been a part of the program, practiced all year with them last year, understands what David Cox wants out of, out of him, out of his players. So I think all of these players now, they're 10 games into a season. They've played really good competition. They've tested themselves against the best. They, they should know, you know what, what the deal is. I think when you look to um, at, at this upcoming stretch, Mikel Mitchell, if he can be like an 11-6 and six kind of a guy, um, he'll cement himself and, and no personal fouls on Sunday too in, in 26 minutes, which is also important to, to point out. I think he's going to be a, a key piece uh, going forward. But to, I still come back to Jeremy Shepard. When he's played well, they've had chances to win. Yes. Um, when he's scored in double figures, they've had chances. Uh, he's got to turn the ball over. And, and Fats Russell's the only player on the team with more assists to turnovers uh, this entire season. So, I mean, it's a big stretch. Uh, at VCU kind of reminds – I mean, at Richmond reminds me of the game going at VCU last year early in January. They, Rhode Island had lost their first game of the year at home, came back and won their second. So they were 1-1 one one going on the road uh, at VCU. Um, and they got a against a team that was picked to win the league. This year you're two and one. You're going on the road against the team that was picked to win the league or be right at the top of the league. So, what we saw last year in that VCU game was a great defensive effort, and they got scoring from Jeff Doughton. I believe he had 21 that night, and Fats Russell had a great game. Obviously, had a great great run last year, uh, and then a good effort from Tyrese Martin. So their backcourt was key on the road last year in that win at VCU, and then that sparked that 10 win streak. That's right. Um, I'm looking for something similar this Wednesday. I'm looking for Fats Russell, Fats Russell and Jeremy Shepard to take the bull by the horns and lead this team, be double-digit scorers, uh, move the ball around, get in passing lanes, get out and run, get some easy buckets, set the tone offensively and set the tone defensively. Um, and then also last year when I was looking, they made a lot of free throws. And this year, Bill, when they get to the line 19 or more times, they're 5-2. and two. So you got to get to the line. You have to make the most of your opportunities. Um, The Western Kentucky game comes to mind. Had they made some free throws down the stretch, maybe that's a closer game. Maybe they win that game. Um, The game against Boston College, they shot 9 of 18 from the line, and they end up losing by 5. So getting to the line, slowing the game down. Uh, I get David Cox has played 10 guys, but if you want to shorten a rotation and play 7 or 8, maybe 9, it's important to keep guys' legs fresh and the way you do that without having to play more guys is getting to the line and slowing the game down, taking advantage of opportunities when the clock is stopped. Um, and if you're not off to a great start when you shoot free throws, it keeps you in games. If you're up by a couple possessions and you hit a rut for a couple minutes, it keeps you one or two possessions up. So it's just it, it keeps you floating um, as opposed to just if, if you're missing foul shots, big part of the game and and. This year, when Rhodey shot the ball well, when they at least get to the line, 
they've had some success. So I think those are a couple key things that we saw last year in the VCU game that sparked that big run. This year they have to do the same, and I think it starts with the guard play. No, it's a good point, because if you're going to the line, that means you're not settling for threes. This is not a good shooting team from the perimeter. They, they haven't been for the last couple of years. Uh, they are better than they were a couple of years ago, um, you know, but still not a team that you want necessarily taking three-pointers against the zone. You need to do the hard work, the dirty work, get the ball inside, get it in the paint, have your guards attack, and ultimately you're right. You will end up at the foul line. Fats is an excellent foul shooter. Um, you know, you want him to live there. Uh, you would gladly have Jeremy Shepard there. Antoine Walker shooting 87% from the line. You'd, you'd love to have him there. Uh, Ishmael Leggett shoots 75% at the line. So you, you want those guys scoring the most efficient way possible. If it's not going to be from the three, it's going to be near the rim or at the foul line. And, and that's certainly you know, something that they need to pay more attention to, something that they need to dedicate more effort to going forward. You will need it Wednesday at Richmond, uh, a homecoming for Jeremy Shepard. Uh, you know, so you wonder if the Richmond native, uh, you know, has a, a little burst here over the next couple of games. Um, you are playing games at Richmond, at VCU, at Duquesne, at LaSalle, at Dayton, as I mentioned off the top. Three of those teams were picked ahead of you in the A-10 preseason poll. Uh, Richmond, Duquesne, and Dayton. So obviously a, a tough stretch coming up for the Rams. We're going to learn a lot about them this January. Uh, we could say the same thing for Providence, who is going to be in action uh, over the weekend when they go to Xavier. Uh, they've got a, an eight-day break here um, You know, before they hit what, what I think, you know, similarly to, to URI, is probably the most difficult stretch of their regular season schedule coming up. Uh, four out of their next five on the road. The last two are at Creighton and at Villanova, the two teams who were picked ahead of them in the preseason Big East poll. Uh, Maury, they're coming off a three-game homestand. They were 2-1. and one. Uh, The first game, a bit more of a thriller than they would have imagined. Double overtime against DePaul. Uh, the second game, a, a revenge game against Butler, a, a game that they really gave the Bulldogs no chance to win. Uh, they were dominant in that one from start to finish. Uh, and they missed out on a three-game sweep of the homestand with a 67-65 loss to Creighton on Saturday, the number 11 Blue Jays. They win the game on a dunk by Christian Bishop with .8 seconds left. Uh, Maury, this game was, um, you know, it was one that Creighton looked like they had won, and all of a sudden they didn't, and then they did again. Uh, you know, really, it, it looked like we were going to go to overtime for the third time in five games with Providence in the Big East, uh, and all of a sudden Creighton came up with a play, uh, and the Friars missed out on on a sweep and you know a win that really I, I think would have catapulted them into this really difficult stretch they have coming up. No doubt. Uh, I mean, big credit to Providence first for even getting back in that game and, and tying the game. Um, they, put, they made the plays, first of all, on the defensive end, Ed Cooley installing the three-quarter court trap and uh, the length of Providence helping out. They were down 13. I forget with how much time. Maybe it was five, six minutes left uh, as I look it up here. But they, they yeah, get back. Seven, seven, 14 to go. It's a 61-48 game. Creighton is ahead. Right. So you're down 13. And, and 13 really felt like 17-18, you know, Bill, when you're watching it, just because of how well and how effortlessly Creighton can score the ball. And without Jared Bynum, it's hard to, to get into your offense because he only played, you know, nine minutes in that first half and he was out for the final 24-plus 
of that game. So big credit to Ed Cooley's squad to get back into the game. And then a missed opportunity. You know, they, they tie the game up there with a few seconds left. What was it? Seven seconds when Noah Horkler made that layup. And yeah. Like Ed Cooley said post-game, credit to Greg McDermott for not calling a timeout, just letting his guys play. And when you have an older, experienced team like Creighton, who's been in big-time games, who's won league championships, you can trust your players on the floor. And that's exactly what he did, and they execute. Uh, I think Providence got caught a little bit too much in just watching the ball. And that's what happens late in games. Um, You know, whether or late in halves, late in games. You pull back to the URI game against Davidson at halftime, four seconds left. Uh, Bob McKillop draw, draws up a great play. URI gets caught watching the ball. They sl- slip a couple passes uh, into the corner. And Hung Jung Lee makes a three there at the buzzer. Sort of the same thing here at Providence. You make a layup. You're trying to get back. You're trying to communicate who has who. And Marcus Zigarowski does a great job in just getting the ball up the floor to puncture the heart of the defense. The defense collapses, and then it allows for the trailer bishop to come through for the dunk. So I think there at the end, you know, Providence just got caught looking at the ball. But I think the bigger thing to, to take away from this three-game stretch is now that Providence is 3-2, and two, There's only two teams ranked in the Big East, and we talk about how deep the Big East is, and they are, but can Providence be that third team? They were picked third at the beginning of the year. Can they go out and now take it? Um, On paper, they can play and and beat a Xavier team. They have just as much talent, if not more. They They can do the same with Marquette, and they can do the same with Georgetown. They can go out and win three straight before two before their toughest two-game stretch of the year at Creighton at Villanova. Road games, again, aren't easy in conference. Uh, Ed Cooley's team has done well over the last couple years at Marquette. Um, Xavier, they've struggled. The Cintas Center is, is never an easy place to play, for, you know, regardless of fans, if fans are there or not. But this three-game stretch before the two at Creighton and at Villanova, I think really will, will tell us what this Providence team is, um, and who they who they can be. I think this team definitely can be the third the third team in, in the Big East behind Villanova and behind Creighton as they were picked. But um, they, they're going to have to go out and take a one game at approach time. A lot's going to depend on if Jared Bynum plays or not. Uh, and I know we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, taping this on Tuesday, we don't hear from Ed Cooley until tomorrow. Right. So um, a lot could change and this whole conversation could be completely different we're under the impression right now that Bynum will play um on Sunday morning um just you know hopefully it's not too serious of an injury they've had a whole week off a little bit more eight days off between the the Creighton game and and the Xavier game but uh if he's not in it it'll be different but uh, I think this Providence team has a chance to really separate itself from the rest of the pack in the in the Big East. You mentioned Creighton's experience; they're they're one of the oldest lineups in in the Big East in the nation, really. Um, you know, I think I I think I saw a note that said that Creighton has an older lineup than the Chicago Bulls currently. Um, their average age is, is more than the Bulls' current starting five. Um, you know, which gives you an idea of, of the sort of experience that they have out there. And it did show on that last play. I, I know we're not allowed into Alumni Hall at this point due to COVID restrictions, so I was watching the game on TV like you were. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Bishop wasn't in play right. until all of a sudden he was. Uh, and, and I almost feel like Providence, I, I won't say that they forgot about him because you know he's out there, but it almost felt like he was too far away from the basket with too little time 
to actually get back into the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noah Horkler drives hard out of the left corner, two dribbles, tough layup at the rim to tie the game with seven seconds left. Um, it was a really good play by him, finished off a, a good day for him off the bench with, with 12 points. Um, Bishop is the inbounder on the ensuing possession. Marcus Egorowski rushes it up, sort of gets caught, picks up his dribble on you know by the by the left elbow and you're looking and you're thinking okay as you mentioned providence's players are watching zagorowski they're watching the ball all of a sudden bishop comes over half court sort of half jog you know sort of loping up the floor and all of a sudden he starts running sprinting full speed when he gets to about the three-point line when it becomes clear that zagorowski's in trouble and needs an outlet he catches it two steps and dunks it, and and it was out of nowhere. Um, you know, you would like to see Providence have a little more awareness to to realize that he was on the floor, but he wasn't really in the play. So it, it was a it was a strange defensive possession. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it. Creighton showed great composure there. Um, you know, and if you look at Providence in totality in that game, David Duke and Nate Watson went nine for thirty, which is the most inefficient they've been. Um, all season, uh, you know, Creighton did a really good job defensively against the Friars. Um, you know, really made them struggle from the field. Uh, they were 13 for 42 from two point range, which normally you look at Creighton, you associate them with offense. You, you think that they're going to play this beautiful basketball and it's going to go up and down, and you know everything is is just sort of going to flow. Uh, Creighton got its hands dirty in that game, and, and they have a top 40 national defense right now, according to Ken Palm, which is the best they've been in 11 years under Greg McDermott. Um, you know, played really well at that end of the floor, and it showed the other night. If, if you're looking at Providence in, in terms of their first five Big East games, I think you would say that, that you could flip the results against Seton Hall and Butler. You wouldn't have been surprised if they would have lost at Seton Hall. You wouldn't have been surprised if they'd won at Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, Creighton, if you're going to end up in the top three of the league you know, or even challenge for a league championship, you're likely looking to split with Creighton and Villanova yep. and, and take your chances with the rest of the teams in the league. And that's uh, what happened last year. They, they took advantage of home court and... And uh, they lost on the road, at least at Creighton. I know they beat they beat Villanova on the road last year, but yeah, if you're going to split, you probably one two and think you're going to win the home game more than than you will the road game. So now you you might be you know, if we're talking about contending for a league title and and certainly securing yourself as a top three team, you might now be one game behind. Let's say you know, and and now you might need to win at Xavier and at Marquette. You you might need a little bit more than a split against those two yeah you have and you have to sweep against all the bottom feeders so that's right like last year you can't slip up at at a st john's that's right uh you have to be, you have to sweep georgetown you have to uh sweep a potentially a xavier team DePaul, so you're gonna DePaul, need to win exactly. at DePaul later in the year yep so those are teams now where those games go from okay you can afford a slip up uh one or two to no if you want to be second or third in the league you got to finish it um one other thing I wanted to mention about PC um, and, and, and A.J. Reeves, I know you touched on it there, uh, his efficiency and just when he – when Providence – Providence hit nine threes against Creighton Bill and I just kept going back to that one stat and I, I was looking at it in a vacuum because when you look at PC, they're not a great three-point shooting team over the years, but when you can make seven, eight, nine threes, and Ed Cooley's talked about this, that's their magic number. Right. If they can get close to 30 points from the three-point line, the way 
you know, the, the, their bread and butter is inside. Um, so they should be able to win games, especially if you can get close to 30 points from, from three. I mean, A.J. Reeves this year, when he makes two or more threes, they're four and one. Providence is five and one when they hit six or more threes. And then I was looking over the past four years when Providence makes nine or more threes, they're 30 and seven. So, so you lose a game where okay. uh, against Creighton where you, you make nine threes. And I kept just going back to that, that one stat. I don't know why I was so fixated on it, but it just, it just felt like they got a good enough performance from the wing uh, and from deep where – yeah, you said 13 of 42 from inside. They, they, they couldn't finish around the rim. Uh, and defensively, Creighton's a tough team to slow down. Um, but the, the building blocks are there. The pieces are in place where if they can, if they can make some threes, you, you don't expect to go 13 of 42 from, from, inside, from inside the arc. Uh, Nate Watson will continue to get better, and, and he's been tremendous uh, through the first 10 games of this season. Uh, and then one other thing is, depending on if... if Jared Bynum's back or not, what Jimmy Nichols, Greg Gant, and Noah Horkler can do. If they can if those three can give you about twenty-five and ten and and Horkler looked good. I mean, they drew up a, a, a play to tie the game and, and they gave it to Noah Horkler there at the end against Creighton. If they can continue right. to have that confidence uh, in, in a couple of those players, when you don't have a guy like Jared Bynum, you get twenty-five ish points from those three players, you're gonna get Close to 40 from David Duke and Nate Watson on a nightly basis. A.J. Reeves will throw you in 10 to 15. You're at that 75-point threshold where Providence, their magic number defensively is around 70 points, and that should be good enough to win. So um, whether Jared Bynum's back or not is still to be seen, but I think when you look outside of of the point guard position and the guys off the bench or the, the fourth and fifth starters, those guys can really be a big lift uh, during this key stretch. He drew up a play there for Horkler. He's being guarded by Mitch Ballack. Uh, Mitch Ballack isn't out there to guard anyone. He, he's out there to make shots, nope. uh, make threes, and, and stretch the floor. Uh, you know, so you give it to Horkler, who has a size advantage, who who wants to get to the rim and, and bully Mitch Ballack a little bit, and he did exactly that. Uh, you know, so credit to Ed Cooley for for recognizing personnel there. Um, you know, credit to the Friars for executing and, and to Horkler for making the shot. Uh, you know, you would have liked to have seen them follow it up with, with a defensive stop. They weren't able to do that. Uh, you mentioned A.J. Reeves. He saved their bacon against DePaul, uh, again making another huge three to force the first overtime, uh, strip the ball at the end of the, at the, uh, at the, end of the first overtime, um, you know, stripped it from Charlie Moore to, to force another five minutes in that game. Uh, he's 10 for 22 in his last three games from three-point range, so he's showing some signs of coming out of that slump that he was in, and, and that's huge for them because he gives them something that they don't necessarily have. Uh, you know, David Duke shoots it from three well, um, you know, but aside from him, you're not necessarily, you don't necessarily have a proven three-point shooter on this team. Horkler has a, a smaller sample size here. He's 5 for 12. Uh, Greg Gantz, 7 for 23. He, he's next up in terms of attempts. Um, you know, so if Reeves can get that going, that, that adds another dimension. Uh, you mentioned Jared Bynum. He's, he left with what was described as a lower leg injury, lower body injury. Um, I saw him on defense late in the first half. Looked like he got tangled up in the paint inside. Um, you know, he sort of hopped a little bit gingerly over the baseline towards PC's bench. Um, and we didn't see him again. He, he was on the bench for the rest of the game. Um, 
you know, his face toward the end of the game. You saw him in some huddles, and he didn't necessarily look in distress, I, I guess you could say. In good spirits, yeah. Um, you know, you and I have been around athletes enough and, and watched enough games where athletes sort of have a look when they're seriously hurt. Mm-hmm. You, you sort of know that, you know, those signs, that concern, It's they don't hide that very well, and, and they shouldn't because when you're an athlete, you work so hard just to get on that court to get your minutes, to get your time. Uh, you know, you look in the NFL and you see guys, they work so hard just to be on a team, um, you know, just to get snaps, to get catches, to get touches, to make tackles. Uh, for them to get hurt, it, it's cruel in a way, um, considering the investment that they make in their bodies. When, when your body breaks down, it, it's cruel in a way. Yep. Um, you know, so we, we'll have an update on, on Jared Bynum uh, at some point later this week. Um, Ed Cooley said that, that he was sore. Uh, he didn't specify what was going on, but he did say that he was sore. Uh, David Duke described it as a little mishap, uh, which was, I, I think, a very gentle way of putting it. Um, you know, But if you don't have Bynum, that's clearly your lead point guard, uh, and that forces David Duke to handle the ball a lot more than, than maybe you would like him to um, because he's been great off the ball. Uh, you know, We saw that against Butler. I mean, he just completely dominated against Butler, flirted with a triple-double, is very comfortable in that role playing, you know, at the right hand to Jared Bynum. Um, you know, that's the best version of Providence if David Duke is able to play off the ball, if he doesn't have to worry about those responsibilities and, and is free to just attack uh, the way he did against TCU, the way he did against Butler. Um you know, he, he is a, a player in the Big East who has a ceiling as high as anybody else. Um, you know, so you wonder how a change of role would affect him, and, and you're, you're going to have to sort that out going into a difficult stretch, as we mentioned. You're at Xavier on Sunday. You're at Marquette on Tuesday. That's a quick turnaround. Um, you know, obviously that, that's, that's being done for COVID purposes. You're, you're going out there and trying to spend as little time on the road as you can. Um, you come home and play Georgetown, and really that's your only breather uh, through the end of January because you're Xavier, Marquette, Georgetown home, and then, as we mentioned, at Creighton, at Villanova, and then Marquette home and Georgetown away. Uh, you know, so out of your next six games – yeah, I mean it's a it's a really stern test, and and you're sitting here at three and two in the Big East. If you're going to end up at, you know, say, who knows, seven and four coming out of that, uh, I mean eight and three. Ed Cooley would sign up for eight and three right now and, yeah. and throw away the keys, uh, you know. But can you come out of that seven and four? If you do that, you're going to be in the top three or top four of the league. Uh, you're going to be positioned to to make a run over the second half of the schedule where you can contend for a conference title, finish second, finish third, be, be up there uh, amongst the cream. Um, you know, if not, then you're looking at sort of slogging it out in the middle and, and potentially you know, maybe having the battle into March to, to get another NCAA tournament bid. So a really critical stretch here coming up uh, for the Friars. Uh, you know, and obviously we, we look at them and we think that you know, right now they're going to be best positioned to, to make an NCAA tournament run uh, out of our three teams. Um, you know, but we could have another contender here in Bryant, who returns this week uh, after a lengthy absence. Uh, they're going to play back-to-back games against Central Connecticut on Thursday and on Friday. And 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 Maury, I just you know, uh, do we remember the Bulldogs at all? <laughs> do we remember who plays for them? What happened last time? Give me give me a little uh, give the folks a little update on what happened with Bryant. Yeah, it's been a long time. They came off maybe their best win. 
in the last, who knows, couple of years, more than that? You've been around this team a little bit longer than I have. And, I mean, they beat UMass by five uh, on the road in Amherst. What, what date was that? That was December uh, 21st. Yeah, so that was it's a while ago. Yeah, more than two weeks ago. Two Mondays um, ago. So a long time. And this is a Bulldogs team that <clears throat> we said at the beginning of the year, we said through the first month, and now that we're in the second month of the year, a team that should have should be there in the top four of the NEC in the playoffs come season's end. Um, and now when you look at it, the way they've played and the, some of the teams they have coming up, I, I want to see them, Bill, take a big jump from being a team that will be in the playoffs, that doesn't really get swept, that, that, that splits at worst every weekend when they play when they play two teams, to now beating the teams that they should beat and and, and making sure they do. So you have Central, Central Connecticut State coming up, win those two games, go to the next weekend. At St. Francis, PA, sure, might not be the easiest two games in the world when, when you're looking at, at the league and, and the way that they've had success over the last couple of years. But St. Francis, PA is one and four, so you should go and win those two games. They need to, they need to take care of, of these weekend games and, and be atop the NEC. And, and this is a team that has the capability of doing so, and uh, they have the individual pieces, whether it's Michael Green, whether it's Peter Kish, Charles Pride, Hall Elijahs. I mean, yeah, this is a team that, that some bracketologists now have them representing the NEC in, the, in, in March Madness. Right, you're looking at Bryant. Uh, you know, I would say their best win since 2016-17. They beat Yale that year. Uh, Yale had Mie Oni. He was a freshman, ends up being a pro in the NBA. You had some holdovers from an NCAA tournament team there. Trey Phils, Blake Reynolds, Alex Copeland. Uh, those were all guys who, who played against Baylor the year before and, and then against Duke uh, in the regional, which was at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Um, you know, Bryant obviously beating UMass. Uh, Michael Green popped up on some National Player of the Week lists uh, after he had th- 33 points in that game. Uh, right now, he's got to be in the running for Conference Player of the Year in the NEC. Uh, he was a Rookie of the Year last year, and you know he, he's gotten even better this season. Uh, he's scoring it more. Um, you know he, he's a clear leader of this team in, in terms of having the ball in his hands. Uh, the type of guy who you're going to build around going forward, and and if you're another player. At Bryant, you got to love to play with this guy because he's going to get you the ball. He's a clutch guy. You can give him the ball in big spots, and he's going to do something with it. That that's kind of that's the kind of guy who you want in your lineup, especially down the stretch. Um, the biggest question with Bryant is, you know, did they want the layoff, and and can they continue this? Because as you said, they had some really nice momentum going previously. They're on a four-game winning streak. Uh, beat Stony Brook at home, swept Wagner. Uh, the second game, they had to dig really deep against Wagner and, and ended up uh, pulling it out. Um, obviously, winning at UMass is, is is a big deal for them, beating an A-10 program. Um, you mentioned the schedule. Central Connecticut is a team that they're going to look at and say, we need to sweep these guys. Uh, you know, they've, they've been at or near the bottom of the league for a few years now. And your next two couplets are, are both on the road at St. Francis PA and at Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson was picked to win the league. Um, you know, St. Francis PA has been a team that has contended at or near the top of the league uh, in recent seasons. Uh, and, and the team that dumped Bryant out of the NEC tournament last year. Um, you know, so certainly those games are going to be more difficult. Uh, you would probably accept a, 
a split out of those. If you can go two and two out of those four, three and one would be gravy. Four and zero would be Nirvana. You'd be leading the league, and and you know maybe on your way to winning a regular season title. Um, you know, but you are looking at, at two big games for the Bulldogs Thursday and Friday, uh, playing against Central Connecticut. Uh, as you mentioned, Maury Bryant is now popping up as the favorite uh, in some of this bracketology in, in terms of winning the automatic bid in the Northeast Conference. And I think that's largely because of where they stand in the net rankings, which were released on Monday, the first batch uh, released by the NCAA. You know, granted, a lot of these have a small sample size. Uh, I think Colgate was 16, yep. and they've played two games. So, you know, take these for uh, with a grain of salt. Um, you know, still very early, and, and a lot of teams, you know, still have games to play. Uh, we're still going to have things happen over the next two months, whether it be COVID shutdowns or, or player absences due to COVID or whatever it may be. Uh, but for now, you, you have Providence checking in at 78, URI at 79, and Bryant at 91. Uh, you know, and I'd have to think back, but I can't imagine that, that Bryant has ever been in the top 100. Uh, of the net. Uh, you might have expected Providence to be a little bit higher. They're 2-2 two and two against Quadrant 1 teams, um, but their loss at Butler right now is, is a bad one. Um, you know, it's currently a Quadrant 3 loss. Uh, you know, you look at Providence's strength of schedule to this point, it's only 140. Um, you know, that will get tougher as the Big East goes on, uh, and obviously they're going to have a lot more chances to improve. Um, you know, you look at URI, and, and in terms of URI, for, for all the difficulty that they had, um, you know, all the teams that, that they played uh, in the non-conference, the only Quadrant 1 opponent they have so far is Wisconsin, uh, and that's a loss on the road. There will be more. Uh, I expect Seton Hall to play their way into the top 30, and that will end up being a Quadrant 1 win uh, at home. You, you would think that the Pirates are going to end up there. That's where they're trending to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but URI still has more work to do. Uh, you know, that's more a discussion for the Friars and for the Rams. We, we know what Bryant's going to be. That's a one-bid league, and, and so... All you really need to do is get yourself into a position where you can get a couple home games and, and try to win the conference tournament. But, um, you know, Maury, just any initial impressions off of uh, the first net rankings that came out on Monday? Yeah, I mean, for Rody, David Cox said he wanted to get this team as many tough games as possible to prepare for the A-10. The strength of schedule shows top 80 right now in the net. You know, we talk about such a tough stretch coming up. If they're able to win a couple of these games on the road, um, they'll still be a far cry from an at-large, but it won't be out of the question if they can go pop Richmond and VCU early in conference play. They're in position uh, to climb the net ranking. So uh, I think Providence, like we like, like we talk about, the Big East is, is obviously so strong. They'll win a number of games there where uh, they should be in the tournament come season's end, barring uh, you know, a complete disaster. But Rhode Island's positioned itself you know, as good as it can, and and Brian, I think it'll just be nice to just continue to keep tabs on them and see if they can uh, hang around the top 100. I think as they continue the NEC season, a lot of quad three, quad four games, so they'll just naturally fall back right. um, out of the top 100. But yeah, I mean, one other thing back to Brian, when, when you mentioned about you know the, the tough road games uh, coming up at St. Francis PA and at Fairleigh Dickinson after the two against Central, the way this team's played on the road, Bill, I, I, I think you can go in and expect them to go win three out of four. Um, I think, you know, the way they played at Syracuse, the way they played at UMass, 
Um, even you know beating another team on the road in, in New Hampshire, I think they've played well away from home. When they're at their peak, I think they are the best team in the NEC. So uh, that was one final point on Bryant. But when you go back to the net, I think, I think this is kind of where we expected these teams to be right now. I don't think we're shocked about you know Providence being at 77 uh, right now, which is the which is the updated from yesterday's games, January 4th, but. Um, yeah, I mean, Providence could be a, a few spots higher if they take care of a couple games that maybe they could have won earlier in the year. But this is kind of where Providence is. Providence will be in the 50s and the 60s come season's end, and they'll be around, you know, the, the high teens or maybe 20 wins this year. And uh, that's just kind of where, where, they're, where they always are. At Providence and URI, each of their next two games are both Quadrant 1 games on the road. Uh, Richmond... VCU, Xavier, and Marquette are all inside the top 75 of the net. Uh, you know, so that makes it a quadrant one opportunity uh, for both the Friars and the Rams. Um, you know, and obviously, it's it's never too early to look at your resume. I, no. I don't think. Um, you know, and I, I think we were also reminded of that on Monday when the NCAA announced that the NCAA tournament will be held entirely in Indiana. And, and Maury, I, I, you know, I am so encouraged. By hearing things like this, I, you know, having lived through this COVID era of covering sports the last 10 months, it's sort of been, we've had dates for things like conference media days and and scheduling and, you know, opening day for spring training and, and an opening day for training camp for the Patriots or whatever else that have sort of been postponed indefinitely or pushed out into the ether or the discussion has been, well, maybe they'll start this day, but maybe it'll be this day instead, or maybe it'll be this day instead. To hear these firm plans from the NCAA to have an NCAA tournament after having it canceled last year, we knew that they were going to play a tournament. We know that there's a huge financial component here and in, 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 that regardless of the quality of the season, the breadth of the season, this was going to happen. We were going to have March Madness. But to hear some of these firm plans on Monday, I don't know, it gave me a little bit of a lift. I, I felt really good reading that release from the NCAA. Really good. I mean, it seems like every availability or every post-game press conference, we hear something along the lines of continuing to battle mental fatigue, continuing to battle COVID fatigue, the players doing a great job in testing and, and being strict about it, just staying in the dorms, just going to practice. And now that you have it in writing, uh, the announcements out there, it just it gives the kids something to look forward to. It gives the coaching staff something to look forward to. It gives us something to look forward to, to put on the calendar, to write in Sharpie, to say, hey, the NCAA is serious about this and they want to get this in. And then to the point of it being in Indianapolis, I think that's maybe the best place to have it. You know, Maybe in, yeah. in the entire country, when you look at the proximity of all the big time gyms and big time colleges centrally located in one area in one city the NCAA's headquarters are there in Indianapolis um you know whether it's Butler whether it's Indiana whether it's Purdue it just all all makes sense and Indianapolis has had um experience in hosting Super Bowls hosting Big Ten championships for football uh, so, you know, from the top to the bottom, they kind of have all the boxes checked. I, I know, Maury, you've been there for work. We, we were talking about this before the podcast. I also have been there uh, for work, um, you know, cover Friars game at Butler. You were there for Big Ten football? Big Ten football, yep. When you were out in Wisconsin, your yep. previous stop before coming to Providence. Yep. Um, 
just to go over some logistics here, the Final Four was originally scheduled for Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, so that sort of prompted a lot of this discussion, I would imagine. It will remain at Lucas Oil, uh, which is the home of the Indianapolis Colts. They will set up two courts at Lucas Oil Stadium to play games. Uh, the games will not be played simultaneously. Um, you know, but you would imagine that they're setting that up to the point where they can play one game, sanitize the court while there's a game going on in another court. Um, your other venues for this will be Bankers Life Fieldhouse, which is where the Pacers play, uh, Indiana Farmers Coliseum, which is where IUPUI plays, Hinkle Fieldhouse, which is Butler's home, uh, the, the famous backdrop for the movie Hoosiers in the 1980s, Mackey Arena, which is Purdue's home, and Assembly Hall, which is where Indiana plays. Uh, you're talking about some temples of college basketball here. Uh, you know, and, and in particular, I read an interview on Monday with Jim Nance, uh, you know, CBS commentator who, who has seen and done everything, whether it's you know, the Masters, Super Bowls, Final Fours, whatever else. One thing Jim Nance has not done is called a game at Hinkle Fieldhouse, and, and he said that that is a sort of bucket list item for him to, to really get to one of the places that is one of the holy grail. Of, of college basketball. Um, you know, I, I just can't imagine how cool it's going to be to have NCAA tournament games at Hinkle and at Assembly Hall. Um, you know, just, just two venues that are steeped in tradition. Um, you know, you, it, it's like the roots of the game are, are there. Uh, you know, it feels much better than some of the venues that they pick, which which are a bit soulless, I, I guess you could say. Uh, if you go to an NCAA tournament game, you go to the, some of these regional sites, it is very corporate. Uh, they're using a lot of NBA arenas, and, and so there's a lot of flash and worries about the suites and, uh, you know, worries about who's sitting in the expensive seats. And, um, you know, I, I get the feeling that you're going to some of these venues and it, it, it's going to have a lot more of a... I don't know if, if it's a throwback feel, if it's maybe more of a homey feel. I, I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but you know, it, it just it feels good. Oh, yeah. It feels good in a way. Yep. Um, you know, I, 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 really, I really like the, the plan that they have here. Uh, the practice facility is going to be at the convention center, which is downtown. Uh, for folks who haven't been to Indianapolis, it is a very condensed downtown space. Uh, it is a big city, but it has a small neighborhood feel. It, it's almost like being in the Back Bay in Boston, mm-hmm. let's say. Um, you know, where you go, to New, you go to a place like New York, and it's huge, and it, it's so big, it's right in your face. You go to a place like Boston, and it's a little more neighborhoody. Um, you know, Indianapolis is more neighborhoody. Yep. Um, you know, I think it's it's a walking place. It's somewhere you can get to pretty easily and, and get around a little bit. And as you mentioned off the top, Maury, they are a Super Bowl city. They have plenty in terms of hotels, convention space, uh, transit, airports, things that are going to set up nicely to run this tournament for two or three weeks there. Yeah, no doubt. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, hopefully we can continue to test negative, stay positive uh, throughout this season. Next couple months uh, will be great to watch these teams and hopefully there's there's two or three teams in Indianapolis and I think when you look at the how the NBA bubble shaped, uh, shaped out in the summertime into the fall with their restart, I think there's going to be similar similar effects here. I think the basketball community is so so tight. Uh, whether it's AAU, whether it's high school basketball, whether it's just the coaching carousel. Coaches seemingly have been you know been at five or ten places in their careers. 
kids have been at two or three places in their career. So <laughs> in, in this area, exactly. So uh, I think a lot of guys know each other. They'll, they'll be able to be around one another, and I think that will just continue to add to the excitement um, of what already is, in my opinion, the most exciting sporting event on the calendar. Yeah, you and me both. Uh, you know, we we do know that um, there are some preliminary plans to have fans. Uh, in the seats, they're they're going to prioritize players' families first. Um, you know, Indiana, the state, is already allowing fans at venues. I, I know there have been fans at Hinkle Fieldhouse. I've watched some games there. Uh, you would imagine that they're going to allow some fans at Lucas Oil. It, it's a football stadium, uh, you know, so you could put folks in the upper deck. They're going to be nowhere near the court. Um, I'm not sure what all that means for, for media. They haven't necessarily decided that yet. Uh, we hope that we have to make those decisions when, when March rolls around. We do hope that you know, we are going to have teams active in, in what will be a very unique and, and hopefully a very special NCAA tournament uh, being played in a year you know, after we had to go without one. Um, you know, and, and, and ideally with vaccine rollouts going on and, and you know, some folks uh, you know, on the front lines receiving those, um, you know, hopefully, gradually, steadily over the next couple months before March Madness, we, we can sort of see normalcy in the distance. Um, you know, hopefully that is something that, that comes into our field of vision. Um, you know, and I, I, I felt like Monday's announcement w- was sort of it took me a step there uh, sitting on my couch as I continue to watch basketball and, and do my job from there. Uh, it has been strange times. For sure. Um, so with that, Maury, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Providence Journal College Basketball Podcast. Uh, I thank you for being with me, as always, uh, and I look forward to the games this week. You got it.